Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 375. My name is Brando. Really excited to welcome our guest today, Dave Windorf. What's from, happening, Brando? From Monster Magnet. What's going on? How are How you? How goes sir? it? I, Nothing. I'm bored out of my fucking mind. <laughs> That's why I'm glad that we're talking. Uh, How yeah, you, yeah, I am. I'm totally glad. Well, how are you feeling? I guess that's probably the first question because you were having some, you had to cancel the tour because of some back issues. Uh, yeah, you? some texting idiot like nearly just crashed into my bike. I'm riding a bicycle. Oh, just a regular bicycle? Yeah, just a regular bike down the street like a schmuck. Oh. And um, some guy was texting. I could see it coming. I saw him text once. I was like, don't text again, dude. Don't do, you know, you know, you can see it when you're yeah. out there. You see like, don't do it again. And he did it. And he came right across the, right across the edge, right at me. And so I had to like bail out. Wow. And, um, I didn't bail out good. Did you have I a fucked my back up. Did you have a helmet? No, but um, yeah, good thing I didn't land on my head. Huh? That um, could have been so much worse because um, I don't know how much of a sports yeah. guy you are. I think it was last year. Sean mm-hmm. Bradley, who used to play for the Nets because you're a Jersey guy, played in uh, for the Sixers. Same thing. He's retired, bicycle, gets hit by a car. Now he's paralyzed. Awful. Yeah, I'm usually, you know, pretty, I'm like, you know, riding my bike for my whole life and never got into anything bad or got out of it before it got bad. And uh, this is the first time it was ever that close. I mean, that guy was coming right at me. So what got me was I didn't get hit by a car. I didn't get hit. I just had to bail out in a way mm. that uh, went, that crushed my lower vertebrae and all the, all that happy stuff. Anyway, so it'll get better. I don't know how much better it's going to get. It's been like a year and a half when they say it's, I didn't want to go for um, surgery or stuff. So. Oh, okay. Just, yeah, so. Okay. So I was going to ask you, there's no surgery. So are you just, it's just, just rest and ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stretch a lot, stretch a lot, read a lot of books. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so where are you located now? If you're kind of bored, I see all those monster magnets behind you. Are you in, uh, in your home in Jersey? Where? Yeah, I live in Jersey, Redback, New Jersey. Okay, cool, cool. So uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm a stone's throw away, kind of a few stones not, here in Queens. Not that far, not that far at all. Yeah. Well, I, I said uh, a couple episodes ago, or might've been last episode, Billy Howardale from a perfect circle. He's also from New Jersey. And I don't know, being from, I mean, I'm originally from Long Island, New Jersey might as well. Sometimes it's just, it is, it's the traffic. It's the traffic that gets me. I know technically it's not far, but. Oh, I mean, I mean, yeah, if this was like 1952, you know, you could get a car and be here in 25 minutes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Right on. Well, I'm glad to see that you're doing somewhat better, I guess, but let's kind of focus more on the, the positive. Tell me about this, uh, the early, I don't know if you want to call it, it's Monster Magnet, but those early days when you're releasing, you're going to release Test Patterns, Volume 1, November 11th. Was yeah. it Monster Magnet then? It was the very early days. Kind of tell me more about this. Uh, it was, uh, we had a bunch of different names. And uh, it was uh, me, my friends, uh, John McBain and Tim Cronin, and also uh, Joe Calandra and John Kleiman a little bit later on. But we were like three just, just, gruntled retailers. Those two guys worked in separate record stores and I worked in a comic book store. Cool. And all I wanted, all we wanted to do is, you know, bored out of our minds was to make noise. And I had just got a guitar, uh, my first guitar ever in a fuzz box. And all I did was just go home after work and just, so we were like, all right, you know, let's, we got to get together. Those guys had a little band, like a recording thing called Dog of Mystery. And uh, to call it something else, we were calling it different names like Madness is the Mongoose or Nipple Tank. Heroin Mule, <laughs> Heroin Mule was the name. Um, 
anything to piss, piss the local punks off. And we got gigs as that too. You know, we play like gigs at the Brighton bar and just do God awful psych noise. And this is like 87, 88. Wow. You know, so it was like the structure down there in Long Branch at that time was at a bar like this was just basically punk rock. But punk rock was already, you know, I mean, it's 1988, you know what I mean? It's already out. uh, Yeah. So it's kind of dead. And the only thing I liked in modern music was stuff like Screaming Trees and stuff that was coming out of Seattle at the time, stuff that was coming out of England and, and old psych stuff. So that's why we did we started doing psych. Okay. Very, very cool. Uh, I, I don't know. You might've had an interesting career if you stuck with, uh, what was it? Nipple tank. That was one of the early. Nipple years. tank. Hell yeah. Nipple tank. You should sell shirts. Uh, <laughs> and tank. there were so many names and, and, and we do each gig with a different name. We would, I do demo tapes with different oh, names on it. And, um, but the thing that got monster magnet was like one night, one lucky night that we should have never got because a friend of ours, Jim Norton, like booked us oh. at City Gardens with Jane's Addiction. I just saw them last and, night uh, at the garden. I just saw them last oh, night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for the oh, first yeah. time. Yeah. So this is Jane's Addiction's first record. And they're playing City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey. And this guy got us on the bill uh, because the opening act had canceled that. We played for free. You know, we're just knuckleheads with a black light. You know, one one drum, like a kick drum, went up there and announced that that we'd be, you know, they're like, what's the name of the band? I was like, oh, just Nipple Tank or whatever. And it was my uh, my ex-wife at the time. We were talking about Monster Magnet, the old toy. Mm. And she said, Monster Magnet. And I was like, okay, that's our name. Wow, that's so funny. And the show did really good. So with like, I guess that's our name. What a great name. I don't know if you're a TV guy, but it just reminds me of Parks and Rec when they were trying to name their band Mouse Rat. That's a... Yeah. I don't know if you remember. That's just very, very... That's, I that's do very, remember. Okay. That's, that's very cool. Very. I, I like that. And again, all the magnets behind you if you're watching this on our, our YouTube channel. So is it... Uh, just little fridge magnets. Oh, I yeah. love it. I, we have them too. Plenty of fridge magnets. Always been a fan of those. Um, so let me ask then, how has it been going back to that material? to revisit, to kind of relive uh, yeah. the person that you were. Uh, it's really fun. I mean, I loved that, that time. That was time that I was learning how to play guitar for the first time in my life, which was late, you know? I didn't play guitar until I was like 28 years old. Oh, wow, okay. So, in love with fuzz and just in love with noise and in love with recording. They had those Tascam mini studios that came out that got cheap. So all of a sudden, everybody you could get a, you know, for 400 bucks, you could get a, a, a mini studio on a cassette and you could actually record your own music, which up until then, you had to go in a studio. You know, you mm-hmm. couldn't record at home. There was no recording at all. But no. that that made it like, I mean, unless you had a million bucks, these things were cheap, 200, 400 bucks. <clears throat> and um, I was like, I could do this. I had already been in a, in a band before that, but I was just a singer. And now I was like recording, playing guitar, hanging out with guys who like what I like to do. It was like, wow, that's a whole new world. It's like, do it yourself. How easy th- did the guitar come to you learning so late? Was it natural or did you have oh, to really <clears throat> practice at the beginning? Number one, I suck. Okay. So, I, I get, and, uh, but I could keep time and I don't go out of tune. So, uh, a man's got to know his limitations. You know what I mean? (laughs) Sure. I was like, I can write songs with a guitar and my power is to be able to write songs not to play that well, but I can chord it and I could do these one finger, like 60s bee sting leads and I can use a wah pedal like nobody's business. Hmm. So as long as I can get the structure of the song and do a melody over the top of it with my vocal, Who's going to say, oh, well, you know, the guitar is that really that horrible. They don't even notice it at that mm-hmm. point. And then I surround myself, you know, with people who are better than me. <laughs> and then everything starts to, to come in. So I can write songs. I just can't play that well. Fair enough. Uh, I think th- you're able to cover it 
or hide it because you're of your creative mind. And I link that to something else I'm a fan of, the comic books. You mentioned that you worked in a comic book store. Oh, yeah. Love comics. Yeah. So I haven't collected in many years, but, I mean, growing up, Spider-Man, X-Men, Spawn, mm-hmm. you know, all those. So I'm going to sprinkle in some fan questions, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, this is from uh, Stefan from Serbia, believe it or not. Uh, he's cool. he's also a comic book fan. So how did you end up in an episode of Spider-Man in the 80s? It was drawn by my favorite Frank Miller. Yeah, drawn by Frank Miller, drawn by Frank Miller, who's like still a legend mm-hmm. you know, for his Daredevil and Dark Knight, Batman the Dark Knight. Um, real luck and the fact that I was a fan and there was somebody looking out for me. There was a woman named Martha Thomas is in New York that would work for publishing houses and she was like, you know, you love Spider-Man so much. I know a guy is writing it. And his name is Danny O'Neill. And he's got this new kid with him named Frank Miller. And he goes, uh, and kid. I was like, well, how come to the show? We're playing CBGBs. This was in late 70s, like 79. So we, were, my first band was part of the, you know, a punk scene at CBGBs. Okay. And uh, he came down like 1970. And it was so much a different world then. You could go in there with no contract and just a, just a handshake hmm. and go, yeah, yeah, I really like the band. I, I'm, you know, the writer's like, I'm going to put you in the, in the comic book. And I said, oh, how much to do an ad for, for the single? Hmm. And he goes, ah, you know, what, 50 bucks or something? So we had an ad for the band and the single and an appearance in the book where we were in a Spider-Man comic book, all with like no lawyers, no nothing. Do you have that comic? Do you have it? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I would. I would like to think so. It's probably. I could have quit. I could have quit music that day. I was so happy. I was like, "Oh, it's Spider Man!" Oh, that's so cool. Do you play anything like that in the future that you want to do? Because you've obviously accomplished a lot. You know, any anything more? Because I've seen Megadeth do that. A lot of other bands kind of join that graphic novel world. You know what? I've never done it because one, the tendency to go really, really stupid on it is very high. Okay. And then you're, you're stuck hmm. being some schmuck in a dumb, poorly drawn comic book. <laughs> and I got spoiled. I mean, we were drawn by Frank Miller, who's like still considered one of the top comic create creators of all time. So I can't do any better than that. So I was like, that, that's okay. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Uh, to circle back, because I, you know, I'm guessing you're, you're reading your comics while you're kind of killing time, recuperating. Are there plans to like, what are you doing other than reading comics, putting up, finding new magnets to put on uh, your refrigerator? Yeah, read, uh, reading big boy books. That's what takes up. That's what takes up. It was just comic books. It would be easy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm just like looking at the lay of the land now, looking for next year. So okay. Go out, you know? Okay. And uh, I should be healthy enough to do it. Okay. And uh, I'm just looking at all my favorite places to play. And right now it's bad shape. The world's in, in tough shape for rock and roll bands right now you know it's like the cost of everything is huge yeah so everybody's complaining and i know everybody's bitching and moaning because of, you know i'll read about it and uh you know it was a double whammy of covid gas prices and just rampant inflation just makes you want to go like you know maybe maybe i'll wait a year maybe this is a good time to hurt my back yeah no i i understand that um I probably wouldn't even gone because we had bad seats last night, but there were still a hundred bucks. But I understand that the band has costs and all the crew. It's not just about the band; it's the crew. So I guess how did it's you handle mar- everything, everything? Everything costs money, you know, a lot. <laughs> I guess how did you handle that when you had to make the tough decision to come off the road and recuperate, and the, the team that usually goes out with you? Um, how have you been kind of emotionally handling that? Oh. Well, I mean, you just emotionally handle like me and like, well, okay, you know, it's a snow day or whatever. Hmm. You know, you call it like a snow day. And then all of a sudden the snow day is like, it's a snow year. <laughs> well, it's a snow two years. <laughs> so only now am I really getting the whole wackiness. I, I did a record, you know, we we did a record called, uh, uh, what the hell was it called? I can't even remember. Um, uh, we did a really cool fucking record. A better dystopia. A better dystopia, right. And um, did that, and I was like, "All right, you know, keep my place at the table, and go, uh, you know, whenever you open the door, when everybody opens the doors again, uh, you're ready to jump back into the into the ring." 
Okay. So, and, uh, and then my back, you know, so. Okay. So you're not writing any new music yet? Kind of just living off better. Uh, I, sh- I should be. Instead, <laughs> I'm like reading like Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy or something. Um, That's hilarious. As soon as it, uh, as soon as somebody calls me and says, you're really, really out of money, dude. I'll write, <laughs> I'll write in there. You know, you're, you're fucking skating on thin ice. I'll go and write another one. I'm not sure what, what I want to write about. So I get to this point where we've got uh, like 11 studio albums. Mm. And uh, I got to the point where it's like, unless I really, really, really into it, something, I'm not just going to do a record on a, on a schedule just to f- fill up the, Okay. You know what I mean? It's like, why would you just fill up your shelf with like half, half baked shit? You know, you got to have something to say, I would think rather than. Yeah. Yeah. No, really, 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 really do it. And most of the time I get psyched for writing by living Mm. and uh, going out touring, whatever, for some reason that like sticks on juices. So, okay. Yeah. It won't be too long before I write another one, but I definitely write less now than I used to like in the first like five albums. Okay. Okay. I think most people do that. I, I would imagine. Yeah. You get to the point where it's weird being in a band for so long. You know, like Mastermind has been around for like now almost 30 years or 30 years. Wow. And when I was a kid, <clears throat> and I still seem to think, even though I still do it, it's like, you know, bands don't really make more than like two or three really good albums. Nobody does. Not Led Zeppelin didn't do it. Black Sabbath didn't do it. No, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody did. Um, so I, every time I think of that, it's like, you know, every time you go out and, and write an album that's not sitting in a situation that makes you feel really good about doing it, you're just going to disappoint yourself. I'm sorry, man. There's a lawn demon. <laughs> that's okay. You know, usually that's the problem for me, but the, the landscape has come on. The landscape has come on today. Tuesdays. Today's a Thursday as we're recording this, so it's just, now it's on the other end. That's okay. You know, as long as they don't cut your, you know, a power light. Uh, did, you, did your power go out, by the way? You have the, the blinking 12 behind you, or you just don't want to set the microwave. I love it. Sorry. It's just, it's setting the scene for those who are uh, listening just on the, on the podcast version. And people were, I was not the only one excited to talk to you. Listeners were. So I have some, some more questions, if you don't mind. So we went, we were in oh, Serbia. Uh, from Serbia, now we're going to Greece for a question, Okay. So tell yeah. tell Dave that when I was, um, this was June twelfth, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, this was Metallica and Monster Magnet in Athens. I remember he, that. He says people still remember it as quote Metallica was awesome and Monster Magnet was even better. He says it was a hundred degrees that day. Uh, and how did you survive in those leather pants? <laughs> so, it's just like I, <clears throat> I remember that day so well because that was the day I actually canceled our flight the next day so I could eat more food in Athens because it was the best food I ever had in my life. Cool. I, I faked sick. Wow. To go to the next gig in Germany because I, I was like, I'm never going to get here again. <laughs> I'm never going to eat food this good. But I remember, I remember that show and it was, hot. it was so hot. It was crazy, but we were going for it, man. I was like, that was our first tour with a really, really big band. I mean, really big. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than Metallica, right? Nope. You know, so you had a half an hour to go out there, and I just was just like, we got to give it to these people, man. You know, we got to do it. Anything you can. Wore leather pants, the whole thing. You know, it's like, go. And uh, it was so much fun. And Greece is terrific. Any, Greece is amazing. I, I, I hope to go. I have friends from there. And, and yeah, Connie Pat, who uh, a, a listener of mine from, from Greece, who's been chiming in. That's what's mm-hmm. the great thing about, yeah, I'm not touring like you all over the world, but with this podcast, right. I get to speak with people all over the world. So it's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it, it, rock in all its forms um, definitely lives more of a healthy life and more, more understanding um, uh atmosphere in other places besides the United States. I agree. Um, it, it's, the States has moved on. You know what I mean? It's like, and the kids have moved on and whatever, like whatever's happening now is happening now. But the legacy of rock, say all the way from the beginning of, of, you know, 
Elvis <laughs> to to modern modern rock um, still lives over there very healthfully together. You know, you see crowds of people. There'll be like sixty year old guys, twenty year old guys, their girlfriends and stuff all there. Not like America where it's just like you know a bunch of bunch of weird old dudes, <laughs> you know, with phones. Yeah, no, I I, I do because I get to uh, also invite fans on the podcast to give reviews <laughs> of Guns N' Roses concerts, and we've had recently fans from Latin America, Argentina, Brazil, and yeah, the passion is just completely different. It's, it's over the top. They see it as the the. I think because they're not from here. They see it as the the renaissance, the musical renaissance it was. Uh, and they don't want to lose it. You know, they look at it as a part of history. That's true. Uh, well, I think most Americans, I mean, you know, yourself included and people like me and people that understand it, but America's really about, oh, well, give me the next big thing, whatever, whatever, you know, <laughs> right, whatever right. it is. Right, right. Um, any special memories from that first tour or perhaps when you first learned that you were going to open up for Metallica? As you mentioned, that was that first big, massive tour that you were on. That was like, we have been through Europe many, many times headline before. So we do like, you know, maybe 500 people. Um, so we had, we had done, done really, really well in Europe going around and our records were selling increasingly better and better. You know, we had like, you know, a two, two records on a major at that point. And we're looking for like some sort of break. You know, you look for that break that you want. Metallica, really, they get, you know, they gave us a chance to like make on it. And it was really cool. Uh, the only thing that wasn't cool about it was that there were so, there were so many dudes. <laughs> we went through all Eastern Europe and it was like a whole, they were like, where are the girls? You know, it was because it was Metallica. And we're used to having like a bunch of girls at the show. So that was the only hard part. That's funny. It was just like, what do you do after the show? You know? At least you weren't on tour with Rush. Because you Rush had... Maybe I can with, only... Uh, with Metallica, there are some, maybe a few, some some girls. But Rush, yeah, there are, no, there, there, are. there are none. <laughs> I Rush can Rush. imagine. I remember seeing Rush back in 74. And wow. there were no girls then either. <laughs> that's the beauty of rush one of the many beauties but if you haven't been able to tell speaking of i guess metallica or that time period appetite for distortion it's a guns N' roses themed podcast you gotta yes. do something a little different otherwise i'm just another generic podcast so i always look for a six degrees of gnr bacon guns N' roses bacon between so i'm mm -hmm. not sure if there is one between monster magnet if you either met any of the guys or um, perhaps just what your thoughts were when Appetite for okay. Destruction came out. So any GNR stories you may have. Um, well, I remember when it came out. Okay. And uh, I was living in New York at the time. And uh, <clears throat> I had been in a power pop, pop like a power pop punk band that played at CBGB's a lot and uh, called Shrapnel. And that was the one we were in Spider-Man and the word and the, the old rich was still going. And the word around New York was everybody was looking for you, you what's gonna be the next big thing, you know, because punk didn't work, you know, like punk punk came out and it failed, you know. The sex pistols were a big deal in the press, but they didn't sell any records. The Ramones didn't sell any records. Nobody sold records. Mm. You know, the only person that sold records out of that whole thing was like Talking Heads and Blondie, and they were not, you know, rock really, and they were like something else. Sure. So everybody's wondering around what the next most, next big thing is going to be, and all the brains of all the writers and stuff was like, well, there's nothing. It's all been done. You know, like rock is dead. It's all been done. So we hear about Guns N' Roses and they're like, well, Guns N' Roses and like, yeah, but it's been done a million times. I mean, it's just the same old, you know, it's a bunch of fancy boys pretending they're Jagger and Richard, you know, which it really was. You know, it was the same old dynamic. It could have been Aerosmith. It could have been anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, Aerosmith have been doing that shit. Sure. With and been, yeah. So they came into town and we all went down to see him. And they were great. 
I mean, they were like, holy shit, everybody, even the punkers, the new waivers, all the people were just like, all right, well, we've heard this shit before and seen it before, but not done this well. And it was their, it was their attack, the way they did, not that they reinvented the wheel, but they just presented the best wheel huh. you could possibly imagine. You know, they were full of fucking, you know, piss and vinegar. I mean, the singer was just amazing. Axl Rose, he was just off the charts good. One of the best front men I've ever seen. And then he became the worst front man I ever saw. <laughs> really, really quickly. But um, he was absolutely amazing. And they were going for it. You know, they were nowheresville. They were just starting to come up. Hmm. And it changed everything. All of a sudden, every band in New York started getting tattoos, started wearing bandanas again. It was like going back to like 1972. <laughs> All of a sudden, everything rolled back and looked like it was 1970, like the 1972 Stones. Hmm. I like that phrase you used. They didn't reinvent the wheel, but they presented the best wheel or however. Oh, uh, yeah, wow. they did. I, I, they I did. like that. I'm uh, telling you, man. I mean, you know, they were all and really you know, it's like they weren't ravaged by drugs yet. You know what I mean? That's what really fucked those guys up because I saw them a couple of years later and they sucked. They just sucked. Is that know? what you mean by that he became the worst frontman ever? Oh, awful. Terrible. When, Stop us. What show is this? Mm, I saw him in LA. Okay. Was it one of this, this opening for the Stones or just a, another show? It might have been the Stones. Oh, okay. And he would just stop every song and talk. And it was just like all this bullshit. You know what I mean? Man, 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 man. And all the crowd hated it. <laughs> you know, they were just shut up already. I mean, people would scream, shut up. <laughs> shut up and just play the song. Um, it was out of control. And the guys just weren't playing as good. Mm. You know, it just wasn't the same thing. When I saw them, they were like a unit, like a rock unit, like blasted out of some fucking comic book dimension I'd never heard of before. I was like, this is amazing. And then now they were just kind of posing, you know, doing the long walk. You know, when they get to big stages, I'm going to do the long walk. And it was like, <laughs> this is the most stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. They should have always stayed close together. Okay. Yeah. A lot of fans agree you know, with you. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Um, but I mean, at that point it didn't care because they'd already made it. So who cares? And now the legend was bigger than they ever could be anyway. The legend of Guns N' Roses, and they put out good records. You know, the records were good. <clears throat> and then at one point in 95, I was making a record called Dose to Infinity on, uh, in the village, and actually in Soho, Little Italy. And I'm there at this place called The Magic Shop, which is a great studio. It's not there anymore. It's really, really cool. And, uh, about one in the morning, we get a phone call and they go, Slash is coming over. And I was like, Slash? I, I never met him. I, he's, just, he's just coming over. And that's what he would do. Was like cruise around in a limo at New York late at night and visit like the magic shop, and the hit factory. Um, and all the, those old, great old New York City studios, which aren't there anymore, where everybody made all these great great records he would just come to new york and get high and then come in the limo and visit studios like hey i'm slash like what's up and i sit in and it was great he was totally cool guy oh that's cool i i like that story see that's why sometimes i ask because you just never know these it's not like a major story but these just random things that you find out about these guys um, oh yeah i mean guns and roses was an absolute force in in the united states for so long leaving long after i mean it's amazing how long those guys have gotten away for the, for that to, you know, when you think about the short amount of, of material they actually did. Yeah. The legend, you know, indoors. That's how I'm able to do a podcast about yeah, it. Hell and, yeah. And it, and it allows me, it's, it's, uh, I've said this before, it's just branching out. It's not just, I'm talking about GNR from pillar to post. It allows me to talk to people like you, people who also influenced, I know people's musical tastes and, and, uh, you know, my 
childhood. So I don't want to keep you here forever. I know you're bored, but I want you to, you know, rest, lie on your back, you know, take some, uh, you know, maybe some Advil. I don't know what you do. Also, no, I, I'm good. Okay. I'm fine. All right, cool. I appreciate that. Because I, I yeah. got to ask, because growing up, because um, I'm 39, so I kind of missed, Guns N' Roses was, was already broken up. But I guess somehow they just became my favorite band. Right. But I remember I growing up when MTV played music, I seeing that Space Lord video, learning about Monster Magnet, that really right. you know, that really shaped who I was and just allowed me to be like, all right, there are current bands that I that are just representing and you know, the sound that I love. Uh so let me ask then, when you made Power Trip and Space mm -hmm. Lord, I don't you know, arguably your biggest hit, did you foresee that happening? Because we were we started the interview talking about all these weird sounds and you know ex experimentation. Yeah, it, Did you ever foresee this kind of future for for you and your band? Not in the beginning, because in, in the very beginning, I was like, I know there's things I could do that would lean us more towards what was going on in the world of rock at the time. If I could get in the door, you know. Um, but I was already, you know, like I said, I was like 28 or 29 years old already. And my love and my heart wasn't in real modern stuff, but it was picking from different things from my youth, along with some modern stuff to go like, you know, there's a chance for rock to be cool again. And sure enough, Guns N' Roses were part of that. You know, me seeing that <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the 80s, um, in the early 80s, I was like, oh my God, you know, it, it's coming back. You know, the stuff that I really loved is it's coming back. I couldn't believe it. And then there was, uh, in the midst of all that, underneath all the hair metal and all that stuff that got ridiculous, there was Seattle, which was just basically like Mud Honey and Soundgarden. I was like, all right, now it's like, this is more like what I can do. That's really technically what I grew up with. Technically, it was the grunge yeah. Seattle sound, yeah. So it was like, there it's coming. It's like, all right, this is like, you know, it's not hair metal. You know, you don't have to look like a fool. Um, I mean, you could be foolish, but you don't have to, you don't have to go the whole nine yards. Plus these guys had better songs. And then I said, we might be able to sneak in on this whole thing. Mm. You know, maybe, you know, so I just stuck to what I wanted to do for the first couple of exactly what I wanted to do for the first couple of records and started experimenting with all the stuff that I liked. And we started running out of gas around record number two. We didn't sell a lot, you know? And if you're on a major, you know, I mean, if I was on independent, it wouldn't matter, but I was on a major. So they want you to sell like a million records. Yeah. And I remember having a discussion with a record company guy going like, you know, it's like everything's there, but it's like the music, music is not connecting with as many people as we thought it would, you know, and it's like nowadays you'd be like, Oh, I only sold 800,000 records. I'm sorry. You know, can you imagine selling 800,000? Um, I'm sorry. I sold only 800,000 records. And I said to myself, well, what do you want me to do? Put tits and money on it? Because that's what hip hop does. You know what I mean? I mean, that that's what they do. That's their thing. Hip hop was destroying rock, you know, from the get go. It just, just yeah. The kids said, we want that. You know, these guys are more authentic badasses than these guys. You can't fool the kids because they were. <laughs> you know, these are guys from the ghetto. They're fighters, you know. And, you know, it's like. Um, and uh, there was definitely a reaction to that whole grunge thing. You know, it, it, the grunge started turning kids off. Just like, I don't want to. I want to be. A rock star, I don't want to be a kid in a baggy fucking shirt, a loser, you know, a loser thing worked. So I was like, all right, I'll make a bet. I made a bet with this, this like, I think it was a product who worked in the product department. I said, if I put tits and money all over a record and act like a hip hop guy, but just play like stooges, like rock, I bet you anything that record will sell. Wow. Cause it's got little to do with the music. It has more to do with the image. And it worked. I couldn't believe it. That shocked me. I didn't think it would really work. But again, I didn't have anything to lose at that point. Wow. And I have a good sense of humor and was like, yeah, I'll wear leather pants. Let's see what happens. 
And so I bought myself some leather pants and like up until then, I'd just been with you know, psychedelic guy. I was like, I'm going to put the leather pants on. I'm going to put my guitar down, grab the mic and do the whole thing. And then we got strippers to come on stage and God damn if it didn't work. <laughs> wow. It was great. And then it just, and then we had a hit, you know, we had one bona fide hit and I've been living off that hit forever, ever since. I mean, not living off. It's not like it's giving me boatloads of money, but it, when you go to a, to a foreign land or something, it goes, well, do you have any hits? And, yeah, we have one. It's true. They do have one. Let them in. <laughs> you know, let them in. And then you're in. I mean, it's a legacy song of that era. I mean, just the fact that you're writing lyrics about greasing up your baby and that was an accidental hit. Would you, would you call no. it? I didn't write it to be, I didn't write it to be a hit. It's not like I wrote any singles on the record. So my whole thing was I'm just to do pretty much what I feel would be good for live, write songs that would be good for live. So this record was a little less psychedelic and more the psychedelic stuff tends to get washing the bigger crowds, the sound ones. And so I wrote a, a tighter record that could be riffed, you know, it's the old Led Zeppelin trick, you know, like, well, have the bass player play the exact same thing that the the uh, guitar player is playing. I was working out to how to make the punchiest live show. And I was looking to do something that I hadn't done on the previous records, which was more of a straight ahead hard rock. Because we've been doing psych and Sabbathy, psychedelia and all this kind of stuff. But we hadn't done basic hard rock in the band a lot. So that's what went into that record, plus the image. And I guess the two of them combined to, you know, snap something. To click. Um, but I wasn't writing it to do hits. No, I was trying to be deliberately as weird as possible. You know, like Space Lord and those kind of songs. The, the lyrics are not for your average consumer. No. You know what I mean? It's not like, I saw my baby today, and I'm, gonna, I'm talking about, like, having sex with planets and stuff, you know? <laughs> know. Not, like, very, very Jack Kirby-inspired, comic book-inspired on... Uh, a lot of delusions of grandeur. Like I said, it was, it was, it was a blow against grunge too, because I saw the worst, most horrible thing happen in the world, which is Nirvana make it to number one, only to have the guy kill himself. Mm. And it was like, that's the message you send out. Hey, I'm in a rock and roll band and I made it. Therefore I will kill myself. It was like, no, you're supposed to fucking dance up. And if you make it in a rock and roll band, you're supposed to go, Holy shit, I was living in a trailer park three years ago, and now I'm flying on airplanes representing. Yeah, And I was just like, I, I can't buy into that at all. So I just went out to be the, like the create a celebration of excess of rock, the way that the, the hip-hop guys were doing it at the time with no problem, just loving every second of, the, of their of their reign. They loved it all, you know, and, and it was a weird time because those guys seemed to be enjoying themselves more than the, the top rock acts. Everyone took themselves very seriously. Remember Pearl Jam and sure. all that stuff? No, we're very serious. And I was like, dude, it's rock. You can't be that serious all the time. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting perspective. And it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back growing up. Yeah, hip hop was it. Uh, gangster rap was it. But I gravitated <clears throat> towards Monster Magnet and Nirvana and Soundgarden. Well, I think it just and, yeah. into like rock music too. You know what I mean? It's like hip hop. It was a different musical plane. It, it, it's less dimensional. It basically, it's, it's a flat track of music with a vocal on top and a lot of poetry. Yeah. So it's not very melodic. I need at that. At that point with melodic. And you get like maybe one, maybe two dimensions and a lot of image. But with rock music, you can hear different people playing different stuff. So it's a taste for music that, you know, had nothing to do. I don't think it had to do as much with culture as as people seem to think or race as people seem to think. It's just a matter of what makes your ears happy. You like to hear the interaction of music, the sound of a kick drum and a bass going off the kick drum, stuff like that moving around. Hip hop tended to be like just a flat bass of rhythm tiny little noises and this big giant voice reciting poetry. Yeah. Over top, which is nice for a couple minutes, but then like 
not for 40 years. Yeah, no, I, that's how I feel. Like if there's a uh, hip hop tune I like, it's after a couple minutes, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. It's just like on repeat. It's just, it's just not for me. Obviously, I, I may, I'm in the minority, <laughs> I guess. It's a flat line. But then, you know, we live in a flat line world. I mean, if you notice the way culture has gone in America since, say, the 60s, and I'm a big hit, I love history and I love the history of art as well. And I love the history of culture. And when those creativity meets um, commerce is when you get rock and roll. You know, it's, it's like young people making music for other young people. At least that's the way it started out. It should be forever. Um, that kind of puts me out of the ball game. I shouldn't be talking now, but it, the, the culture went from this, a very, uh, from a very simple beginning, <clears throat> sex, Elvis Presley, little Richard, boom, 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 you know, and then it widened. It got intellectual with Bob Dylan. It got spacey, Jimi Hendrix. It got doomy, Black Sabbath. All of a sudden it included this much information, like so much weird influence. And it got orchestral. It went through prog rock and all that stuff. And then it started to go back to a simpler dancey thing when different generations of kids grew up and people started thinking less about how they could be challenged by music and more about how their music could kind of like back their life up, you know, and it makes perfect sense. We are, where we're here now where people just, you know, they don't even buy records anymore. They just get on Spotify. I, I own everything. And, and basically their music you and I excluded and mutants like us excluded <laughs> their music is just like a list of their fave jams along with a list of fave movies. And it's like ancillary. Yeah. It's, it's off to the side. Hmm. There's the biggest promotion of the 21st century is that now everybody gets to be somewhat of a rock star. Everyone gets their own thing. Everyone's special because they have an Instagram and they get to do So we can't go back, you know, we'll never go back. Not when every schmuck in the world is like, look at me, you know, like, I know, I know. That's why I didn't want to be, look at me. And I wanted to make a little difference. Hey, look at Guns N' Roses, look at Guns N' Roses and also me. And also look at Dave uh, Windorf. (laughs) You are the, uh, but that's okay. You know what I mean? This is what, this is why, um, I'm so happy and we'll never forget. It's why I study music history so much and cultural history because we what we got out of it, everybody shares now. So that's a really good part. I mean, it's, that form doesn't exist as as it did, but it's well documented and really really cool. Was, know, and we move on to something else. I was just going to call you a musicologist, and you just spoke about some of your uh, education. So I don't know. Do we see Professor Windor from the future? Teaching? I'll take the job. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> is, is is there a Trenton University? What's what's the big college in uh, Trenton? Uh, Rutgers, I think. Or oh yeah, Rice. Rutgers. Yeah, go to yeah. the. All right, that'll be that'll be great. Do it. All right. Well, before I do that, I'll probably just go back on the road and try to play. It's like, is there another planet I can play? <laughs> so yeah, is there another and a whole another world of, of like new people. Um, <laughs> I like going around the world. I'm not like I don't like playing America. I love playing America. But um, Europe was always the place for maggot to for really to be understood um, because they people took their time. So I really love Europe a lot, and there's certain cities in the states I like. The rest of the world is always wide open for anything. It's it's so ungoverned when you get in front of people, ungoverned by what uh, the soup du jour is. You know, like what people are paying. There's a lot less phone a lot less chat room shit and a lot less um, um, stuff going on where people come out and give things uh, a, an honest look. And uh, I've seen bands like really, really great bands that nobody's ever heard of that are just heroes, you know, in South America, you know, we're heroes. And uh, if you brought them to the States, it'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you. You know, th- uh, uh, wh- whatever, you know, I don't know what's what, what begins and what ends on why people go to shows. 
whatever. They're we're cool. You and I. It's just, I guess I I can't. I I I appreciate that. I don't want rock to ever be in the forefront. I like that it's kind of always underneath the surface a little bit. That's where I want to be. Uh, it was always the coolest when it was that. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's it's funny about the corporate rock system, which everyone like dissed then, and now it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but the corporate rock system was a good. It was a good tower because it. A couple of bands went all the way up, and then a bunch of little bands that were cool railed against it they raged against the machine they went fuck you fuck you but it kind of centered it something to rail against hmm. now that internet democracy is open for everyone to do it basically we're all filled up with so much stuff that no one can notice an honest to goodness trend uh or, or, or uh, they can, it's just hard to notice or to give time to anything to gestate anymore. So there aren't physical scenes like there used to be, mm. where, you know, there'd be an LA scene, like Guns N' Roses didn't come out of a vacuum, you know? Right. It came out of a scene where those guys knew what was going on in LA. They knew that the hair rock stuff was probably just a little bit too bloated and over the top, but they, they were in it, so they kind of looked it, but they, pulled back from that and adjusted themselves to fit into LA, but, and, but also adjusted themselves to be more of a classic rock band. I don't think they could have done that outside of being in a scene like that. Mm. Everything that made Guns N' Roses and those bands kind of like, because they were in a physical scene and they were meeting people and battling with bands all the time, live, you know, like who's going to blow somebody off stage. It developed and you see the whole development of, of rock music over the years, all that stuff was done in real time in scene situations. A band would be together for hell, man, they'd be together for six or seven years, 10 years before they even made it. Yeah. 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 And it shows up in the music and the kind of albums. And now it's like stuff comes out and disappears really fast. Cause I think maybe there wasn't enough training for them to last. You're right. I, I can see that because everything is so instantaneous. It goes back to that social media thing where everybody's an instant rock star, but having to work your ass off. And I feel the same thing in radio. I've, you know, I'm 20 years in the industry and I've had to do graveyard shifts, overnight shifts, you know, work weekends, uh, holidays, all that, that stuff. But there are people who come up now who don't want to do it. They just want to be, they want a, a prime on air slot with a, I mean, I moved yeah, from right. New York to Cape Cod actually, because I had to start in a small market. You know, when I first started on there. So, no, I, I get it. But what I'm really looking forward to is the scene of Monster Magnet eventually making their uh, return. So just uh, hopefully 2023 is the year of Monster Magnet. And I would love to see you live, whether it's in New Jersey or a little cl closer to home here in New York. But just to well, right, yeah, we'll, we'll do New York. We'll do like, you know, uh, some like Bowery Ballroom or or. If it's Bowery Ballroom still there. <laughs> I know it is. No, you're, I, you're, I didn't yeah. check after COVID. I was like, who, you know, who went down? You know, who, who's there? You're right. Um, no, you're right to ask. There are uh, places. BB yeah. King's Blues Club shut down. But, uh, but yeah. yeah. That's you know, awesome. Some place like that, you know, a couple thousand people. Um, yeah, coming back. I'm just waiting for the, for the back to get better. And uh, so you do. And I think I'm going to come back and do all psychedelic or some fucked up thing. You know, just go out, <laughs> just do Space Lord, and then all like <laughs> insane noise with a giant light show. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And uh, like you said, nearly 30 years of Monster Magnet. And I can't uh, believe it went that long. Wow. From major level, major label to um, independence all over the world, it never stopped. Like, I haven't worked a day job in 30 years That's because nice. it's just always been on the road. It was like, Talk about living the dream. I was talking about this somebody the other day. Going, they're like, you know, you can't survive on art anymore. I was like, yeah, you can if you get out there. It's like, look at me, I've done it. Mm -hmm. You know, for thirty years, it's not like I don't have major success. I mean, there was a couple of bright spots, but most of it's been like ground level, you know, ditch digging gigs. You get up to like you know a thousand people, two thousand people. Um, if you can sustain something like that, you can go do anything. It's like being in the circus or something. Hmm. Yeah, you, know? you just keep doing it. 
Yeah, I, I hear you. Same thing with me, my little my little podcast. I mean, I have my also real radio job, but I'm not Howard Stern, but I'm making a living. And uh, as long as you're enjoying life and you're making your fans happy, what else can you really ask? And for? you'll notice, too, I noticed you by the number of shows you did. It's like eventually that that really clicks in. People mm-hmm. remember, you know, longevity now is going to be it's so rare. Uh, that it's going to be as rare as hen's teeth, you know, and be like, this guy's an absolute veteran of like 2019, you know, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I mean, so many people come and go and there's only enough space out there and for attention. <clears throat> I just, I can't wait to see what's going to happen to uh, say, like, when we go back on a, on a TV documentary or a documentary about YouTube channels mm. in 20 years. Okay. You know, when they go back and go, remember the, the golden age of YouTube channels? And they'll have a list. There'll be a half a million people like, I thought it was going to last forever. Oh, know? my God. That's that's funny. I thought it was going to last. It's, you're going to see it. You're you, right. You'll be there watching it going like, yeah, I remember the beginning of the 21st century. It was that shit crazy. You're right. They do that for every decade. There was, uh, I love the 80s from VH1. And then uh, every year, you know, I love the knots or whatever. But yeah, that's probably going to happen because, you know, despite me getting to interview amazing people like you and Alice Cooper and Dave Mustaine, I just see people, mm-hmm. you know, little kids with YouTube channels with like hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm like, how are you doing this? But whatever. I mean, I, do I, it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, a, it's like the new rock and roll. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I have no, it's it, not a shock to me, you know, like th- this is the, that's the new rock. That's rock for those kids. That's their shot. That, that's your shot to come out of the basement mm. without a lawyer, without a, a million dollars worth of backup money. And that's your shot as a kid to make your stand. Um, unfortunately, most of it sucks, <laughs> but it's still, I mean, the spirit, you know, the spirit's there. It's kids doing what kids do. Like, look at me. Mm. Um, in, in When I started, the only place you could do that was in rock and roll. You, you know, if you're in a band, you can make some noise. But the idea of going out and going, hey, I'm just going to tell you about my life and you're going to give me some money for it. You know, it was like, no fucking way. Nobody wants to hear about it. Like, um, they want something else. But we'll see how long this lasts. I say it to my wife all the time because she uses uh, TikTok and uh, and there'll be somebody talking about their food that they're eating. I'm like, how many followers does this person have? A million. Okay, I'm going to go to sleep now and just never wake up. Whatever. It can't. Well, maybe it can last forever, but that means that you're spreading up, divvying out tiny, tiny bits of of attention amongst uh, the whole world. It's true. So if you have a million followers and you're giving out like, you know, my food stuff like that, how long can that last? And how does that all work out? It doesn't compute to you and I, because there's not really a, it's like, what are they delivering? Is it worth it? Right. You know? And the thing is, no, it's not worth it. And if those people who who follow them had to pay a dollar a week to follow them, they would not pay them. Oh, you know what I mean? What is worth it though? How about you give me a dollar a week and follow me and and, and, and I'll show you what I eat. They wouldn't do it. So <laughs> the way they count and everything is all screwed up. It's like, you know, you could follow me. I would trade, you know, 300 asses who bought a ticket to sit in the seat against 800,000 followers who didn't come to the show. True. And believe me, I know lots of bands that worked really, really hard on their internet presence over the last 15 years, and it doesn't mean Mm. You know what I did with my internet? Nothing. No (laughs) social media, nothing. Yeah, there's not a lot, so I guess what's the best way to keep in contact? Or I mean, obviously Monster Magnus of Facebook and Twitter. The best way to keep in contact is come out and make a new record and tour. People aren't going to forget. They don't need. They don't need you in their house every day. Well, so they're not going to forget you. You know what I mean? Sure. Ooh, yeah. how come? Well, how come you weren't on the internet every day for the last three years? Like, <laughs> well, number one, you would hate me if I was on the internet for every day for the last three years. I don't do that kind of thing because it's not interesting. You 
seem to think it would be interesting. I disagree. Um, I tell you what, I'll see you in three years. Let's see if you show up. And they do. I love that. Um, I think there was, you know, and none of this, you know, charging 300 bucks to have dinner with the band and this whoring out this horrible horror thing that these bands do, you know, making these packages of posters and signing Uh. these meet and greets. It's fucking disgusting. (laughs) It's like the end of vaudeville. That's what Jack Benny did. You know what I mean? Uh. That's what like, that's what the old blues guys and that's what the old um, vaudeville guys and Benny Goodman and swing guys did it. See end. my cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is like the end of vaudeville where it's like, Hey, I remember the old days. Why don't you come up and if you give me some money, I'll sign this little thing for you and I'll pretend I'm your friend. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? I know. And uh, it's, even with the, the the nucleus of this podcast, Guns N' Roses, they do that with these things that they send out. No meet and greets, but they're all too expensive. I don't want to pay to meet somebody. I'm just not, you know, especially being in radio. I mean, if I have the opportunity to talk to you, to meet, you know, wonderful. But, yeah, I mean, the shirts and stuff, the, the tickets, everything is so expensive as it is, you know, then just to get all these extra tchotchkes. That, that they're in there trying to, like, desperately grab at anything they could possibly grab to maintain their lifestyle long past their lifestyle sustaining itself on what it was supposed to sustain itself for. You're supposed to make your money off of doing the best music you can and performing the best show you can. That's it. Everything else, everything else, that's modern fucking candy bar salesman shit. And that's an act of a, a really desperate people that are trying to maintain a lifestyle and forgetting what the whole thing was about, which was mystery and delivering the goods and then getting the hell out of town, not Mm. staying in someone's life all day. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, I do know fan culture is a dangerous thing. That's very true. You know what I mean? You don't serve You don't spoon feed fans. That's a it's a horrible mistake. Look what happened to Hollywood. They spoon fed every comic book geek in the world, and now we're stuck with shitty superhero movies forever. That's true. Look what happened to culture when you start algorithm. You know, it's like an algorithm thing. Like, let's give everybody what they want. No, never give everybody what they want. Give them what you think they want, and work hard at it. Work hard because we want you. To come up with something that we can't come up with. Because you are the artist and I am the consumer. You know what I mean? It's I like, I want my artist to make art and make it cool. I don't want my artist to go, well, what would you like? I don't know what I want. I want you to surprise me. Very wise words. Like I said, once <clears> you get better, once you tour, whether or not you make a new record, you, you got to... Go to Rutgers. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> become a professor. There's a lot of, a lot of food for thought. At least it. me, at least wake me up. I get to talk to people who are interesting, <laughs> like you. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I ran, I ramble a lot about this just because culture is so fascinating. And American culture, rock and roll culture, was always my favorite thing because it went against everything that the old show business taught. Hmm. It, it it inspired mystery. It actually um, it encouraged experimentation, and it ex- and encouraged. Um, um, well, like I said, when creativity meets commerce, there's always a big explosion. But it encouraged a do-it-yourself attitude towards your your art, <clears throat> and it, it was a kind of art and creative expression that could be delivered in high volume, like no other art was ever delivered before in history, you know? I mean, Van Gogh didn't, you know, his painting didn't go, (laughs) it's something where you can really like, wow. And then people would talk about it. Um, We got to the point now where, you know, loud isn't as loud as it used to be because you have stereo systems that are fucking awesome. You know, Mm -hmm. you can walk, you can watch Jurassic world and it'll be louder than any rock show you ever saw. If you have the right 5.1 and a half, so there's a lot of differences, and um, uh, but the main difference is that the, the 
I think when artists themselves second guess what they should do according to what their fans expect them to do. Okay. Okay. You know, and I, and I think it's like nothing against hugging fans and kissing them on the lips for coming to the show, which I do constantly. <laughs> I mean, I'm the most, you know, I mean, I can't believe that even two people would, would ever enjoy what I did. So I'm completely humbled by the whole thing. But I really doubt if I sat down and talked with some of these people and said, what do you think I should do? I think they would probably at the end of the conversation go, I tell you what, Dave, why don't you, you do what you want to do and we'll tell you if we like it. <laughs> you know, true. like, I don't want the responsibility of writing your record. I think fans are just at this point just want you to get better. I think that's the that's the main thing. They heal up, see you out on the road, and yeah. just and just uh, be, to be excited about what's to be next, uh, whatever it is. But at least we know yeah. there's November 11th. That's the day for Test Patterns Volume One. So we assume there'll be yeah. more volumes to come. Uh, yeah, there'll be uh, whatever we could drag out of the basement. Yeah, that's like this is like a mini, real mini project, and it's a hell of a noise. It's like 20 minutes of blah. <laughs> and we also got two two um, re-releases of magnet uh, of magnet albums from the from the magnet canon. Um, what are those records? Uh, Monolithic Baby, which hasn't been available on on Spotify before, and um, uh, Four Way Diablo. So okay. two albums in in the Monstermatic catalog that haven't been on streaming services before are going out there too. So Sweet. there's actually a lot of magnet stuff coming out that hasn't been available for a while. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it all. Dave Windorf, thank you so much for the, uh, the, uh, an hour. We've been talking for pretty much an hour. So Thanks, just, dude. I hope we get to do this again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And I just feel good. Continue to feel better and improve. Thanks, dude. Awesome. Dave was even cooler than I anticipated. And that interview went longer than I anticipated. I was like, eh, is 20 minutes or so okay? Yeah, sure, whatever. As long as you need. And I can just tell by the conversation how the, how it goes with certain interviews when to just let it ride. Let it ride and, and don't force yourself to get out at a certain time because that's the beauty of doing a podcast versus doing terrestrial radio. There is no time constraint, but some guests... Obviously, you know, we'll talk to them for maybe 10 minutes if there is a time constraint. On those morning radio show tours that I do sometimes, others say, I got, I got a half an hour or I got an hour. But, yeah, Dave was, was awesome. And I do want to mention this, even though our conversation was so organic and uh, he seems like a really cool guy, it didn't seem like the right time and place for me to kind of interject about him talking about Kurt Cobain. Now, if you're a new listener to this podcast... It's um, it's not like I can bring it up casually, but my my dad passed away via suicide, not the same way as Kurt Cobain, but his uh, you know, it was about nine years ago, so somewhat recent, something I'm still kind of processing, you know, especially with getting married and it's it's a lot to deal with. But my dad was a dentist who wasn't a rock star like Kurt Cobain, but I don't think that matters. Because uh, my dad had an issue where he was so focused on money, thought money would fix so many different things. And maybe it could have, but how much money did Kurt Cobain have? And it didn't fix anything. You just really don't know what's going on in someone's brain, whether they're famous, whether they're not, whether they're 27 like Kurt Cobain or 59 like my dad. You just you don't know what's going on. And I'm sure Dave would agree with that, but... Interesting to hear his perspective being like, wow, here's his band on top of the world that is everything that I want. And this is what happens. Whoa. Well, that, that's a stigma. We've been, I think the stigma about depression and suicide has changed the way I see it since Robin Williams, which was after a year after my dad. And that's when we're like, whoa, Robin Williams? He seemed like the happiest guy on the planet. How could this happen? And if you noticed, I don't know, kind of look back when we talk about. Um, Chester Bennington or Chris Cornell, um, Anthony Bourdain, these people. Uh, so I, uh, the conversation has changed. I see commercials now for mental health. So the conversation has changed, thankfully, 
since the days of of Kurt Cobain. But I don't know. Maybe next time we'll go. We'll dive deeper into that. But I'm one of those people that doesn't get triggered in the wrong way. I think it wasn't like oh, you mentioned suicide around me. You know, that's no, no. It's all about the the intent, the conversation, and the time and the place. So. Uh, perhaps if Dave listens to this interview and, and he wants to follow up on it after, I mean, no offense taken or anything like that, but just kind of wanted to elaborate on my side on his thoughts. Well, I got you. Well, I got you here. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> and, and also I don't want the, the conversation was kind of, it started out with his back issues and getting into an accident. So I didn't want this to be too depressing of, of an episode. <laughs> so uh, I didn't. I don't think so. Fun episode. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. What is to come? Uh, well, we have recorded, ready to go. So you're going to hear this next episode, Pustuous from Gore. We had a really, really fun interview. Also, we're going to have another Appetite for Discovery segment where we meet Timmy from The New Roses a great hard rock band out of Germany. So stay tuned for that episode of the AFD podcast. Don't forget the conversation continues in between the podcast and between the broadcast on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show, Instagram, appetite for distortion at the AFD podcast on Twitter, on YouTube. And when are you going to see the next episode though? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. security, I'm going home.